Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name's Zach, and this week I have my co-hosts with me. I have Mark and Steve. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And Steve? I'm quite right, thanks. Good. Well, how's your week been, gentlemen? <laughs> yeah, Mark's Mark's not feeling too good right now, I bet. Been better. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm sure Mark, do you want to tell the the folks at home what happened? Um Yeah, it it was a uh a Winter Olympic luge accident. <laughs> and uh I I've kind of broken my arm. I got a nice little uh, contusion on my face. Uh you know, got some bruises uh around. So, uh yeah. Well, it's been one of those weeks. I think we all, I, I speak for everybody when I say we appreciate you representing Orlando in the, uh, <laughs> in the Winter Olympic Games in Seoul. I, I think yes, it's yes, really exactly. heroic of you to go and. <laughs> if you've ever seen Cool Runnings, you know how we train here in Orlando yep. for the Winter Yeah, Olympics. yeah. I mean, a lot of people say the gravel luge is an unnecessarily <laughs> dangerous sport, but. You know, and, and now you know, yeah. yeah. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Well, um, all the love goes out to you, Mark. That <laughs> well, you thank get you. to uh, get to feeling better after your luge accident. Thank you. Um, but yeah, Steve, how's your week been? Uh, not bad, not bad. I um, yeah, I found myself a little bit of extra time, and I've been hard to get some projects done. So that's been Good. productive slash. Awesome. Uh, are you guys still doing Tuesday night games? Yeah, yeah, we are. Uh, we've got yeah. a, a, a the D twenty Star Wars game that we do uh, Tuesday, and um, it last Tuesday or the one before. But yeah, yeah it's one before. Yeah, it, it's coming along nicely. Although it would be helpful if we could find an extra player. So if anybody out there uh, wants to play Star Wars on a, a Tuesday, post on the website and and let us know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, awesome. Oh, and like we usually do here, um, we like to start off our show with our segment, Wish of the Week. In Wish of the Week, we talk about anything we are excited for, from movies to video games to RPGs. Let's start with Steve. Okay, well, let's see. Um... One thing that's coming out that I'm pretty stoked about is they're making um, a, an app version of the uh, Lord of the Rings living card game. Now, Ooh. Uh, Ooh. yeah, Mark and I actually played this one, if you put on your Wayback hat, like yeah. years and years <laughs> and years ago. But um, it's I remember it being a really fun kind of co-op style, um, sort of a puzzle solver, honestly. Like, it's got RPG elements, but it, it had a lot of, like deep strategic thinking. It was uh, one of my first co-op games that I played where, you know, oh, it's not against, not at all about, you know, fighting each other. You can actually work together to something. And I also remember it being very good for um, solo play. So all these things seem to me like it would be an excellent uh, candidate for uh, uh, um, uh, an app treatment getting made into a, a video game. So um, I'm really hopeful that, that they don't mess this one up and it's a solid game. And it gets me a chance to catch up on three years of back content for the game that I had touchinated. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Hey, have you have you seen the uh, the remake of Secret of Mana? Uh, I have seen it. It's on my uh, kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I am looking so forward to it. It's not so much a wish of the week as uh, as something that's going on currently. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I've actually got a buddy coming over, so we can do three player Secret of Mana tonight. And I will oh let you know how it goes. The, the remake looks incredible. I'm very much looking forward to it. Regardless of who I'm staying with in Orlando, <laughs> I'm going to, we're, we're all going over to Steve's house to play Secret of Mana. That <laughs> yes. can definitely happen. Yeah. I'm, I absolutely love that game. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that game. Oh, and it's it's made for three players. So boom, beautiful. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Awesome. Uh, over to Mark. Mark, do you have a wish of the week? Uh, well, other than getting my arm out of this sling, uh, <laughs> there was uh, uh, drive-through RPG had a sale on Traveler stuff uh, this last week, and I picked up the Pirates of Brinax, uh campaign. Nice. And uh, I haven't really been able to delve into it too much, but just kind of glancing through it. That looks uh, very exciting and uh, just, you know, something that's looks like a lot of fun to uh, get to know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know the traveler stuff is dense and very vast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can you can find pretty much anything if, yeah. you're, if you're looking for it. So. And, and what, you know, this is kind of a neat thing because you know all those i mean there's like three books and maps and charts and all stuff all kinds of content for it but essentially it's just a method of getting players on a ship and letting them do whatever they want um it's hmm. very much the role-playing game of a sandbox yeah uh, thing you know you you have a mission and whether you decide to do it or not is totally up to you hmm. awesome you know, that yeah, sounds that's perfect. really cool hmm. and, and that's one of the nice things about you know traveler as opposed to some of the more uh specific uh, um, intellectual property games is that you can, you, know, you your expectations are more wide open. You can do whatever you want and follow whichever faction you want. Yeah. Awesome. That, that's definitely seems interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll look forward to hearing how you like it when you, uh, when you dive into it. Cool. Yeah. It'd be nice to finally play an RPG about pirates. <laughs> yeah. we'll get there, we'll get there Steve. <laughs> stay tuned for your next episode of flash bash and panache <laughs> asking you shall receive uh-huh, yeah. uh, <laughs> awesome but for me this week um i went to my local used bookstore and i picked up the savage worlds explorers edition um I believe it was like oh eight. When did this when did this come out? Oh eight. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it came out in oh eight. Um, very beautiful book. The art is is pretty wonderful. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a, a picked it up for five bucks. I haven't really gotten into it, but it's uh it's Savage Worlds. It seems a little bit more um, adventure esque. I don't know. I don't know the. You know, like the Explorers Edition kind of makes you think of Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, well. Um, tell me about the game a little bit. Just uh, you know, like tell me about Savage Worlds. How's it? How's it kind of roll? Oh, I have no idea. I haven't opened the book yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I see. I have. Uh, I actually have the deluxe, the deluxe core book, which is. Yeah. You know, I think I paid six bucks for it at our at our game store. Okay. Damn so, you. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, but but the core book is usually pretty, you know, pretty inexpensive. Um, it's like yeah. a GURPS or you know one of those types of game that you just have this core set of rules, and then there's you know, a dozen different um, uh, manifestations of different things that you can use that you can play using those rules. Uh, okay. We talked about the Flash Gordon rule, Flash Gordon stuff. Flash yeah. Gordon uses Savage Worlds. Oh, uh, okay. So, um, so with that, with that core book, you could play Flash Gordon, for example. Um, yeah, exactly. You had uh, the Octung uh, Cthulhu. Um, oh, I think yeah. That used the Savage Worlds. It, it, it had a couple options. So, those are a couple examples of things that you can play with it. But yeah, yeah it, it is, is very. Uh, it, it's kind. Of, it's fe- it's set to have that kind of pulp feel. Okay. Um, which Definitely. Is interesting. And what I think the main core mechanic that that's really interesting, and I'd love to try Savage Worlds. We, we got to try it one of these days. Okay. Um, Definitely do. Is instead of for your stat, what you have is a die. So you have your strength might d- be a d4 and your intellect is a d6. Um, you know, your constitution is a d8 or whatever. And that determines which die you roll to uh to get your uh target number make your checks okay so obviously the higher the higher die you have the the better result 
you're you're capable right, of yeah. getting. Hmm. Very yeah, cool. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the seller of this book, whoever sold this to the used bookstore, was <laughs> kind enough to include a uh, paper printout of a character sheet. So that was nice. Oh, nice. that's cool. Very cool. So I got a little folded up character sheet in the, in the front of that book. So Was it filled in? <laughs> Do you have somebody else's character on there or is it blank? No, no, no. I oh, wish. I, I wish. <laughs> okay. Am I the only one who thinks it's kind of magical to read other people's old character sheets? Like if you find an old character sheet like, like shoved in a book someplace, like it, it's kind of fun it really kind of oh, sends yeah. you back yeah you're suddenly oh, yeah. you're like oh wow like you, like you, you kind of you can envision that you know this person like in a table and cheeto dust in the air and and yes. yeah how they managed to get their cross-class bard slash assassin up to level nine is anyone's guess you know? yes exactly yeah. exactly so yeah. so has anybody ever played another person's character uh yes Have you? uh when when i uh did that dreaded uh local game store game oh, okay yeah mm. was was that another person's character or was it a pre-generated character uh it was a little bit of both okay because there was somebody that regularly played these characters mm-hmm. interesting and but like when that person wasn't there they used them as a pre-made character huh. so technically it was both yeah i've had to fill in for a buddy like on a you know night when they're not there sometimes they'll end up playing the uh, their characters and and depending on how it goes uh, in one game I sat in for one session and I pulled in somebody's character and I don't know what happened but the entire night was just like oh no Bob would never do that you know it was like <laughs> I felt like I wasn't living up to expectations and I'm like I don't know let's kick the door down no nope, no nope, Bob's not one for kicking doors down <laughs> and after a while I yeah. started getting frustrated yeah. I was like you know what Bob's having an off day that door's going down <laughs> Oh, he fought with his wife all day. Yeah. yeah. He needs to blow off some steam. Bob has no. some sort of, I don't know, brain sickness right now because how Bob's working. Bob was in a terrible oh, luge accident in the Winter Olympics. Broke his arm. <laughs> now he's really just ticked off. <laughs> yes. Bob sounds a lot like Mark to me. <laughs> I don't know. You'd be surprised how many people have luge accidents. It's true. Yeah. More common than you'd think. Got all of Jamaica right here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) But yeah. Um, But yeah, pretty much for for that wish of the week, I'm just excited to kind of dive into that Savage Worlds because I really haven't experimented with Savage Worlds all that much. You know, I've I've gotten here and there. You had the um, Space 1889. Was that Mm. Savage Worlds? Yep. Was that one? Yeah. So I've skimmed that. I've skimmed, you know, a couple different things here and there, and then, but I really haven't gotten into, you know, the true, you know, mechanics and the yeah. true feel of how Savage Worlds is supposed to go. The yeah. core rules, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, and I think that'll be it for this segment of Wish of the Week. Who's eating Cheetos? Who's eating Cheetos right now? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's actually not Cheetos, but Cheetos is way more dignified than what's really going on. So let's <laughs> stick with Cheetos. He's just pushing pencils around the table like a cat. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh. oh. <laughs> And going from segment to segment, we will be on to our next segment, Game at a Glance. At Game at a Glance, we take a game, in today's case, a set of rules, and um, we kind of, you know, dissect them a little bit. In this case, it's almost like a first look. Um But today we're going to be looking at Bloody Misadventures. Uh, They are advanced ship rules for 7th Sea. We have to talk about 7th Sea, guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) Always. It's it's just something we have to do. But but it's a Um, specific subset that we haven't talked about before. Actually, yeah. Definitely. It it really is. Um, You know, for for those of you that listen to Flash Bash and Panache, we haven't done anything ship related. Um, You know, other than a little bit of travel talk here and there. Um, Mateo getting very, very ill on the, on the side of a ship. Violently, yeah. Violently. Um, but yeah, we haven't gotten into the whole, 
you know, mechanic side of, of sailing of, you know, ship battles, et cetera. So, mm. um, I definitely think this is something that people playing seventh C should have, uh, should have some experience with, um, you know, just reading this rule set, even the advanced, um, you know, the, I don't know if it had a name, but it was like the advanced ship rules, expanded ship rules. Yeah. There we go. go. So now, I, I gotta say, I am a huge fan of like the old uh, Horatio Hornblower novels, um, you know, oh yeah, pirate novels, uh, all those sort of things. I love pirate movies, and that was the entire reason for me grabbing Seventh Sea, the first edition, way back when. Mm-hmm. And I, I gotta say that I, as much as I loved the game, that was one area that I always felt a little disappointed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was you lacking know, they, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of talk of pirates, but in but no real nautical specifics. Um there's kind of a mm-hmm. vague some some kind of vague uh talk about about fighting on ships and that's and and it works, mm-hmm. but it didn't it didn't really have that nautical battle feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, like Star right. Star Trek has some great ship combat. You know, oh yeah. Part of the whole whole genre is the ship combat, and and I didn't feel that Seven C really had that. It was more. It was really more uh, Three Musketeers swashbuckling than pirate swashbuckling. Yeah, yeah, um, and, right. And, and Second Edition came out pretty much the same thing. Um, the uh, and yeah, then they came out with this uh, expanded ship rules. Um, which and, which was Explorer Society? It was somebody. What actually? It? Yeah, all of yeah. this all of this came out of the uh, the Explorer Society, the uh, um, kind of fan created uh, extra stuff. Yeah, um, it's fan created, and some of the the original creators have have done like small stuff to to expand the rules. But right. first, there was uh, uh, Rob Donoghue did an expanded ships rules. And I was excited. I grabbed that. And I thought, oh, good. Let's see this. And it seemed more focused on the trading. There was a little bit. They, they added uh, ship size classes. Mm-hmm. So you could at least have some, you know, differences in size ship battles. And that gave it a little bit more of a feeling of intimidation if you saw a big ship, which the original yeah. rules, you know, all the ships were the same, which is kind of bland. But, but yeah, overall, 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 I didn't find that too exciting. Um. But then I saw this bloody misadventures and I've been looking at it for a while and thinking about it and, eh, and finally said, eh, what the heck, let's try it. And uh, I kind of want to hear your guys's take because I, <laughs> I, like I say, I, I love this, this kind of ship combat stuff, but I'm no, interested no, no, no. to see how it read as, as somebody who may not be as into it. Like I'm assuming you guys are right. Like, I think it adds a lot of great qualities to to the the ship rules that are given in the book. It adds amazing detail and so much explanation that that is needed for really understanding how the whole ship battle side of things works. Well, and um, I would say at this point, kind of desperately needed because as much as I love Seven C, I mean the game's called Seventh C, and their boat combat <laughs> stuff has never been really good. Um, like you said, like basically all ships are kind of treated the same, and in every functional game where we have any kind of nautical battle, it always just boiled down to like, okay, let's see if we can just get onto the other ship and start stabbing people, which is yeah. really not like you know that's not nautical combat at all. It's 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 mm-hmm. dramatic and blah blah blah. But we've always like had to find ways to kind of cheese our way around ship combat and not actually just embrace it full on. And mm-hmm. and this right. really great set of rules, I think, uh, tackles that the the tactical issues of ship combat while also not getting too far away from their uh the 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 kind of player narrative driven roots of the seven C system. Um, it yeah. gives you a chance. It, it it you don't like suddenly fly back and like okay now we're just treating this thing like a miniature. Your your guys are still having an impact depending on what you want to do. Your mm-hmm. characters are still driving the action, whether they're in the the guns, the rigging, or whatever. Uh, but it it gives you a lot more tactical options to to actually you know take advantage of some of this great world building that they've done you know, with with the ships. So I mean, without, without yeah. really changing the rules, it seemed to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it was like the same rules, just 
applied to ships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole structure Definitely. of the, the, uh, action sequences mm-hmm. is almost identical, you know, except for, you know, adding, uh, the ability to, Actually, no. That's that's the same. I was going to say adding the ability to change your role, but uh, but you well, can you no. Do it, that. it did add that element of what is your role, which right. is or what is your what position are you operating on the ship? Yeah. Um, well, but if you think we, but if you think about it, you know your role is kind of unspoken in you know the normal action sequences because my role right now is to kill the bad guys. Well, you know, the role yeah. is the role is effectively or, kind of supplanting the, what they had for the approach. Um, like it's replacing out kind of the approach system of seven C with, with the ship roles. Um, no, it's a, it's a step no? before that though. It's okay. a step before that. So first you decide, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm manning the helm and then your approach is what do you do with the helm? Okay. So there's, there's, you know, just this one little step before you get to your approach. Okay. It's like it's like adding a motive right before you do what you're going to do. Well, it's it's adding a ship position. Um, yeah. You know, if, mm-hmm. you, if you think, if you think Star Trek, are you the engineer? Are you the helmsman? Are you the communications officer? So you decide that before you decide what you're doing as that position. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense because it's... in game terms, if you're like, okay, well, I was steering the ship last turn, but let me just pop down to the cannons and fire off a few rounds. And that's not, you know, ships are big. Getting this stuff done takes time. So I think it's a good mm-hmm. way to kind of keep people more or less focused on, on a role, or at least knowing if they want to change what they're doing, it's, there's going to be a cost associated with it. Yes. Right. And I, I love the whole changing roles thing they did. Mm-hmm. You know, they say a hero may change their supporting role at the beginning of a round at no penalty. Changing one's role uh, in the midst of a round is handled just like changing your approach, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. Sure. It, it kind of gives that similar feeling to, I don't have to have an entirely different rule set to do this on a ship, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like you're, you're used to going, I'm doing this thing with my approach and with my role. And if I want to change that, I have to spend raises. Yeah. And the skills that you might already have that deal with, you know, changing your approach would still be applicable in this situation too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, but the, the different roles have, uh, have their strengths, you know, it's like you get bonuses for, you know, whatever skill or, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely interesting. Uh, let's break this down a little bit. Um, again, I love that they, they added the, um, the ship classes Yeah, that definitely adds, adds a bit, both flavor and, and a, a good strategic difference to things. Um, yep. you know, because you're not going to approach every ship. Like it's the same as your ship. Right. If you see um, a bigger ship, you're going to realize you better have a plan for dealing. Right. With it. You're going to, you're going to take the defensive instead of the offensive. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, because you're not going to go guns a blazing on a ship that's three times your size. Exactly. Well, and it, it makes it a lot easier to kind of get a feel for like what sort of ship you're driving around in in general. Like if, if the mm-hmm. GM tells you, Hey, you're in a class two ship, you know, you instantly know, okay, I'm like, it's like a little tiny riverboat. It's not like, you know, a big honking galleon. Yeah. But right, exactly. And, but the other thing is that there, there are only five classes of ships. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're, they're going nuts with, you have to memorize, you know, 800 different ship types. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, like a more advanced game, uh, you know, you, you could have a whole book of different ships and how each ship, you know, has its different quirks and, and ratings and, and sizes and crews, you know, this, this whittles it down to a very simple one through five, which it's a simplification, but I think it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. It's it's definitely, you know, it, it adds what it needs to mm-hmm. and it, you know, it adds enough. Yeah. I like that. Well, it's it's flexible in nature. I mean, I it's been years, but I remember having like a, a second edition D D book that fleshed out ship combat. And I remember mm-hmm. it was just it was completely monolithic. It was not agile at all. And it was like if you wanted to invent a ship, some sort of fantasy ship, which let's face it, happens a lot in D and D. You were stuck. I mean, it was like, it's got to be this class, this class, this class, this class, or you're done. 
And like, it was really difficult to kind of tweak anything. Whereas this seems to be just a very agile system kind of designed to, you know, let the, uh, PM use as much or as little of it as possible to tell a story. True. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, going down to the next, next section, um, the the different thing you know I, I love that they added the difference between the the disable and the scuttle mm-hmm. um you know just basically if you want to straight up destroy this ship send them to the bottom of the sea mm-hmm. or you know just disable them enough to board them take out the crew and yeah. be a pirate do you know take take their loot right and it's it, it that really you know with how simple the differences between those are, it is so important. You know, mm-hmm. it's so, it adds so much with, with saying so little. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Well, I, and they make a, they do a pretty good job of explaining. It's like, you know, 90% of the time, not going to want to be scuttling. Like sort of the default mode before it was like, okay, let's see how much damage we can do to this ship. And they're like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, like you want to disable if they're following you. Now they can't follow you. If they've got money, you can take the money. There's a million reasons why you'd want to, why disabling would be vastly preferable to scuttling. So yeah, I, I like that they, they kind of spell that out. And since, especially since like, you know, ship combat usually just tends to be for the sake of expedition, just like, okay, well we shoot cannons and see if we can blow it up, you know? Right. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And, and it adds, you know, it said earlier in the PDF like on the, that first page, it, it adds a strategic element to it without making it a miniatures game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really important just because you don't want to add something so crunchy into a game. That's not that crunchy. Yeah. Really not crunchy at all. I don't think miniatures or that sort of thing would really have any kind of place in seventh C it's, it's not that kind no. of thing. So no, definitely. And this is, this is going in the right direction. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, it adds, it adds major strategic, you know, moves, you know, based on your range from the, from the other ship, um, your supporting roles, what you can do there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, managing the crew, stuff like that. It's, it's, it gets a little crunchy when it gets into that, but overall it's not too, it's not too crunchy at all. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely. And like this, you can take it with a grain of salt. You can take it, you can take it as much or as little as you need to. Um, you know, they've got a bunch of optional rules that can, you know, add on to other stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like class bonuses and, and things like that. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to just take the base rules, the base mechanics of this, mm-hmm. um, which is what I love. It it gives it gives you the ability to customize your to your to your play style. Basically, um, it allows you to use this the way you want to. You know, like say we were l- less strategic in how we want to play, we're not going to take all the optional rules. We're not going to take all the optional bonuses just because for us, we, we might want to, you know, not take an hour to do, you know, to do an encounter. Maybe we want to take half an hour. So Mm -hmm. cutting down those rules just a little bit, um, by not taking all those additions, uh, you know, will, will essentially shorten the, you know, the playtime of it. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, they say in here that, uh, kind of think of your, your ship and the enemy ship as people, as duelists, kind of like with, with the different maneuvers. And that's, that's great. Kind of, you know, makes that bridge to, um, <clears throat> to relate it to normal gameplay, which yeah. is amazing. Which isn't that far off from the original, uh, rules. Cause the ships right. always had the same, um, death spiral that characters had. Yeah. 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 Um, going down in here, you know, goes through maneuvers and complex maneuvers and, you know, examples of those. And I'd imagine that's probably where you were living, right? Like when you started reading that whole cross in the T thing, I'm sure Mark was like, Oh yeah. Right here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's but yeah. All Patrick O'Brien right there. Yep. <laughs> 
but yeah, you're right. These the maneuvers are basically the same as as uh, swordsman maneuvers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's using some of the same mechanics, just with a little, with a very slight twist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Instead of running or uh, climbing, you're in a ship, you know, mm-hmm. you're, <laughs> yeah. your ship is having to run and climb. Mm-hmm. Instead of parrying, you're using evasive action. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely going down a little bit. It, it has a lot of explanation, which I love a lot of examples. I loved, yeah, I loved the, uh, the sample gameplay. I thought that was some, some of the most detailed sample gameplay I've seen oh, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, it, it, it seemed to clarify even, even the non, the, the regular rules. Seemed yeah. Clarified a lot in, in the gameplay examples here. Yeah. And that's exactly what you yeah. want out of that sort of thing. It's like, you know, it's, mm. it's just illustrative, you know, it shows you it's, yeah. it's applying the rules that you're talking about in a clear and concise way. Absolutely. I love, the, I also love uh, page eight. Uh, it gives you an example of narrative tags, which is beautiful. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, gives yeah. you, uh, gives you these, like you get hit by a cannonball on the deck, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the crew panics, there's a fire. Uh, one of your long boats are destroyed. You know, it gives, it gives you a, a good list of, you know, example, um, narrative points mm-hmm. you know, when talking about damage, which is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of stuff I want to see in a ship combat. Exactly that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because anything that gives the GM an advantage mm-hmm. with, with narration over anything else, um, you know, it helps break up the monotony of just the rules of just, you know, running from point to point and not, not narrating anything. Right. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, they've got a good, what, probably equivalent of two pages of examples down here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and as similar to the tags, I like the personal consequences to the heroes section because like that also kind of brings it back to the character level. Like, you know, say, okay, you've got a, you know, you're, you're getting your ship wrecked. Like, you know, they're, they're laying into your broadsides. It's not just a matter of, well, now the ship's got 20% fewer hit points. No, like, like, you know, you could be set on fire. You could be deafened by cannon fire. Like, you know, they've got all these great kind of, like possibilities that could happen, um, like based on you know the actual like din and view of nautical combat. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. There there are so many different <sighs> narrative ways you can go with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I when I got down here to uh, the additional details on page twelve. I got so excited when I when I saw the weather gauge. I, yeah. I didn't, you know, I was reading through this and I was like, okay, okay. And then then when I hit that, my mind was just blown. I was like, I totally forgot that weather can be a, an amazing factor to to ship combat. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Look at look at Pirates of the Caribbean. You mm-hmm. know, look at you know all these different movies and and books and everything. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's just it's it's detailed where it needs to be. And it's simple enough where it, where it doesn't need to get too crunchy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I would, I will definitely use these definitely just because it, it's, it's a very, very good upgrade. I agree to the, to the main, the main core rule set. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, and that's a little redundant done, main core. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they, it goes down here into into the prizes after you know, um, you know, random D ten two D two D ten for um for wealth stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for if you board a ship and successfully you know loot it. Um, yeah, definitely they've they've definitely got a a good way you can create your NPC ship, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm looking for has on, you know, on different stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to a chance just to use these rules to try them out to see how it actually goes. But I like, it looks super solid. It, it, it seems to be a really nice, uh, extension of, of the cool seven C mechanics, you know, in, in ship form. Like, and 
I gotta wonder why the original rules didn't have something closer to this. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, because honestly, I think it was not as important to him as as the other stuff. Um, I'm not gonna make any claims, but no, I think you're it right. It seems like, like they wanted to put more focus in the land stuff more than the, you know, than the the ship side of things. Yeah, but I mean, it's a game about pirates, and like, if you're neglecting your ship combat, there's something really fundamental that's that's missing there. I would have liked to see the, to have seen this in the Pirates Nation book. Yeah, leave that's it out, fair. Leave it out yeah. of the core book, but Pirate Nations. That's fair. I would have yeah, put put something more in Pirate Nations, definitely. Um, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. So, but but out of curiosity, you know, I see a lot of the. Um, terminology here that you know the rigging hull or mm-hmm. starboard that sort of stuff did you find any of that intimidating as you were going through it to I mean, like i said i'm assuming you're less sailing savvy as as some i am but after years of googling stuff you say mark i'm actually getting pretty good <laughs> so yeah okay <laughs> it's, i i actually working. have a fair bit of knowledge of um at least on the um fiction side of things cool when it comes to you know different ship terms okay <clears throat> and uh and yeah it, it, i i knew exactly what chain shot and grape shot were i knew you know um <laughs> you know different things there were there were definitely things that were familiar you know it's um, it's funny that you mentioned that that was one of the things i was thinking as i was reading this was you know gee i wish i wish i had you know, rules for using different types of different shot. shots, but, but I understand, <laughs> but I understand that's, that's a little nitpicky, you know, they're simplifying. And then you get to a point where they say, we're just automatically assuming you're using the right shot for whichever, for wherever you're talking about. It's like, like done. Fixed. Yay, Problem solved. You. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. You're using chain shot. If you want to take out the rigging. Yeah. You know, it's like, yep. <laughs> well, I was a little bit surprised by how they treated fire. They've got a whole lot of mechanics on fire specifically, and they even go so far as to say, okay, if you, fire on a regular basis settle ships you corruption um and i thought oh, yeah. that was was kind of interesting because you know usually from as far as i've been playing it's like okay we're stuck in a ship let's burn it down you know like <laughs> no apparently no like <laughs> and it's got a, a really cool set of mechanical circumstances about why fire at sea is so dangerous and so deadly mm-hmm. and yeah. Oh, yeah. all the bad stuff that can happen so i thought that was a little bit of an eye opener yeah yeah if you if you think about it um you know, using using fire to take out enemy ships. At that point, it's not about survival; it's about destruction. Mm-hmm. And who mm-hmm. does that? Pirates. Pirates are corrupt. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. that, it's well, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, well, bad guy pirates, but uh, oh, of course, of course, yeah. and but even that, you know, if if you get the crew off and then use fire to scuttle their ship. That's a different situation too. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, I but, think everything with that is relative. Mm-hmm. Of course. But so, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I like, I love the, the approach. Yeah. yeah, I really do. I, I think it's, it's a very, very good addition. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. And I love that it gives you the option to take as much or as little as you want to. Yeah. Um, which is another great thing. Uh, because you know, like I said, matching your play style and um, and how heavy you want to get into this, uh, maybe you just want a short, short, sweet, you know, little uh, ship encounter. You don't have to know every part of these rules to do that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is good. Um, it's good to know all the rules, of course. But um, but yeah, you can use use whatever you need to. Uh, and it doesn't hurt to know that other knowledge, of course. True. Um, I love the little GM reference at the bottom. Have you guys glanced over that? At the, the very bottom? At the very bottom, yeah, yeah. Second to last page, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very helpful. That's mm-hmm. definitely it, it. Again, you can't fit everything into it. Yeah. But no, it's just a little essential. index of, of, you know, like, yeah, the actual rulesy stuff, the crunchy stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's essentially something to print out and stick in your on your game master screen. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It tells you the ranges and stuff. It doesn't tell you the 
distance for the ranges, well, which is strange. The distance is like, variable. They actually have the distances up in the for the ranges up, up top, the top, but yeah, that they also say this is not hard and fast. They say this is like for any given ship. Like you could have a ship with better guns that has a, a longer long range than right. a ship that has crappier guns. So it's all it's all relative. Right. That's why they didn't put actual numbers on it. Yeah, that's that is true, and and it, essentially it's it's just kind of giving you an idea of what the differences between the ranges are, you know, just so you know, as, as, you know, as a player, as a right. GM. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's kind of like, okay, I know the general idea of, of how long this is. We can just go with out of range, long guns, cannons, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah, yeah that's, I understand that definitely. Yeah. Um, I love they have sighting distance. Mm-hmm. Like yep. that, that adds so much. It's like, if you think about it, you can't see infinite, you know, you can't infinitely see something. So, right. Right. Yeah. Adding, adding that is beautiful. Definitely. And of course. Yeah. It adds, it adds some maneuvers down there, for example, and, and stuff like that. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Overall, I yeah, think it's overall, a great set of rules. Yeah. Yeah, overall it is very, it is very solid. Very um, it excited. is very well written, mm-hmm. I can say. Yes. Um, now I was I was going to point out too that uh, mm-hmm. this uh, same guy uh, Thomas Harrison has another book on uh, chase rules for Seven C, which I am now excited about grabbing. Yeah, uh, actually, like land like land chase. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, chase scenes. Which is another area, town. yeah. Yeah, which is another area that I think the, the core rules a little bit lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, he has another book on uh, on corruption and another set of uh, uh, an expansion about um, a card set for uh, consequences and stuff that uh, I might have to Ooh. look into a little further. But uh, that's you know, interesting. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff that uh, I think uh, we definitely need to look into expanding a bit. Yeah. I got to say, I've got this sort of, I don't know. And this is, this is just me. I've got kind of a negative connotation in my head about player driven content. And I really, this is, this goes a long way towards changing that. Cause like, I always feel like, okay, well, you know, somebody's just trying to like get their own little thing out there and it's a, it's a one-off for some campaign they Mm. designed or something like that. This is not that at all. This is professionally developed. No. Like this, this would you know look absolutely at home as part of any professional seven C rule book that's that's out there. So yeah, yeah I, I love it. And and yeah, I'd be curious to see what else this guy's got. Yeah, yeah, I think, definitely. Uh, yeah, especially the chase stuff mm-hmm. because that's that's an important thing that comes up a um, lot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you th- if you think about uh, Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. you know, if you're playing a route that's a little bit like Assassin's Creed, chasing huge thing. Running from guards, mm. yeah, chasing down a target, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's that's a very, very big thing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely excited to see see what comes from this guy. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but if there's nothing else, I think that'll be it for this segment of Game at a Glance. <laughs> Now, on to our main topics. Uh, today, I think we're going to talk about a few different things. Um, first off, some news. Um, there is an article out there on Polygon. Um, headline says, The company that helped lead a revolution in board games is shutting down. Um and that company is Mayfair Games. Yeah. Um, if you don't know them by name, you'll know them by a very specific game, Settlers of Catan. Um, and that's that's probably their biggest. But I mean, they've done dozens and dozens of of other of tabletop games, and and they're kind of a, a, a household name in that that industry. The whole, you know, uh, mm-hmm. tabletop gaming is is. Uh, they they kind of grew up that industry, I think. I think Catan was a big feature in, in bringing kind of like the the game store stuff, not not the Milton Bradley Monopoly junk, but the you know the actual you know games for gamers like to the mainstream. 
And um, on one hand, it's sorry to see him go. On the other hand, Asmodee at this point is just buying up everything. And so far, it's all like puppies and kittens. Like, you know, it's like, okay, all well, right. they did great so far with all their other stuff. And, you know, oh, they own that one. That's a that's a great game. They're doing a great job of managing this. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. I feel like any <laughs> like any any second now they're going to start like putting in microtransactions or something like that. And and, you know, like like like, OK, well, you know, once they own everything, then what happens? Like, do prices go up? Does something that we don't like happen? You know, but right. but as of now, they're they're still pretty solid. I'm not like hating on them. So and the part when I read this uh, article, the part that got me personally at the same time and like not even worth a mention was they uh they got um was it Z-Man or the guys that made um Agricola? Uh oh Lookout Games. Yeah, it used to be Z-Man. Lookout. Um yeah. so Agricola and Caverna are two of my favorite Euro style uh worker placements. Like I'm okay, pretty much my favorite. Caverna is like my favorite worker placement game, period. And I was kind of shocked when I saw they got bought up. But I mean, I guess at this point it kind of makes sense. I mean they're they're buying up anybody who's making a profit. So Yeah, and, and, you know, down at the bottom here, it says, in recent years, Asmodee has been aggressive on their acquisitions. Mm -hmm. Stable now includes Fantasy Flight Games, Days of Wonder, and F2Z Entertainment, which is kind of big. Yeah. You know, with Fantasy Flight and and everything they're doing. Fantasy Flight Um, owns all of the licenses. They own, like, like everything they do is, like, based on huge licenses. So, like, all the Star Wars stuff is Fantasy Flight. And that's just a small chunk of what Asmodee's sitting on. So, yeah. Exactly. So they're, they're, uh, and uh, Asmodee distributes Magic the Gathering, uh, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, and Yu Gi Oh! So that's, Mm -hmm. they've got cards down. In in Europe. In Europe, I mean, they don't, they don't actually publish. That's still Wizards. Wizards is still the only guy that's kind of big enough to give them a run for their money. But, right. That Wizards is also very focused on a niche. They don't care about board games. Like, they only do board games just to, as like an ancillary profit stream. Um, Asmodee is really kind of dominating this market right now. Like they've bought up all of the other big players and they're, they're kind of the only game in town. So, you know, so yeah. far it's good. So far everything's still peachy, but <laughs> fingers crossed that it stays that watch way. Watch the space. Yeah. Yeah. That's my big concern. Mark, what do you think? I, I was kind of surprised to hear that Mayfair games was still going. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved Mayfair games. I think I've talked about the, the DC uh, superhero, the role-playing game. Yeah. Um, that was a, that was a huge Mayfair game. Uh, hit. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a, they had a whole series of role aids, uh, supplements and, and things that could be used with other games. Um, and you know, I mean, they were, they were a, a huge, uh, RPG, uh, influence. Yeah. Um, Oh, definitely. And, uh, so yeah, they, they, yeah, I'm very sad to hear hear them go. Yeah, definitely. Um, but hopefully, yeah, like like we said, hopefully the uh, this next company, Asmodee, will uh, do their part in keeping the name of of their games and and of their company, you know, in on good terms, of course. And and so far, they've done a pretty good job of kind of resurrecting old licenses, and and like they're not just like buying it up and killing it off. So, you know, here's hoping that a lot of that old fun Mayfair stuff might resurface under Asmodee now that they've got the rights to it. And they've got the um, they've got the resources to kind of start pushing some of these old IPs again. So, you know, fingers crossed, we might actually this might actually be beneficial for some of the classic games. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully so. Uh, But on to our next topic. Uh, kind of how how to balance rule set and exposition in a role playing game book, um, you know, essentially when when developing. Um, this is this is a a hard equation, <laughs> you know, finding finding that good balance of um, you know, of how much exposition's in there based on, you know, compared to how many rules there are. Uh, something that sparked this is when we talked about um, Cthulhu Dark a couple weeks ago. Hmm. Um, because Cthulhu Dark has um, maybe a two, three-page rule set, and the rest of the book, which is a couple hundred pages, mm-hmm. is all exposition. So it's, you know, I, I think it's very specific to the kind of game it is. Um 
based on how many rules you need, um, you know, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be the rules. That's going to be a pretty much a set number of pages based on how complex your game is. Of course. Um, I would, I would say a good balance of 50, 50 based on rules and exposition, uh, because you don't want to get bogged down on all of this exposition that maybe just is examples or, you know, something similar. What do you guys think? I think, well, first of all, it, it kind of, like you said, it does kind of depend on the game. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you got the uh, Savage Worlds core book. And yeah. in that case, it's a core book with, it's all just mechanics. And then you pick up a different supplement that's going to have all of your, your exposition mm-hmm. and world building with just a few little tweaks to the core rules. So, you know, that's kind of a specific case of, of dividing it up in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, if, if you have, if you do have something with relatively simple mechanics, yeah, you can divide, devote more time, more mm-hmm. real estate to, uh, world building. And I think, I think, yeah, go ahead. I think a good example of this would be the Hellboy core book. Um, it uses GURPS abridged. Mm. Mm-hmm. Light, whatever it's called. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and then the rest is kind of Hellboy exposition, yeah. which that's a very specific case to where it's a, it's a, a pre-existing universe. You know, the Hellboy universe mm-hmm. is, is vast. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But in, in something like that, where the exposition is the main part of the game, I think that is where you can take much, much more exposition than rules. Sure. 7C is another great example. Mm-hmm. That, that is very dependent on the world building. Um, it's a very specific world that it is building. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think the whole thing is entirely dependent on, like, like we said, the, the game that you're doing. If you've got a game that's more narrative based, like Seven C, you should really spend more time building the world, like with your with your exposition. Um, I think if you've got a game that's less, if you've got a, if, if it's more of a framework or something like that, or, or, or people are going to come at it with their own licenses and 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 you don't know what you know it's going to fit onto, then yeah, I think aside from a couple of quick examples, you can be a little bit lighter on your exposition. So yeah, it really depends. I also think that uh, when it comes to supplemental material you're probably going to be better off if you're introducing something that's more like story focused, like a new nation, a new Island, something like that. Spend a little bit more time than if you're introducing something that's, that's a little bit crunchier and, and rules focused, like say ship to ship combat, you know, that, <laughs> that doesn't need quite as much exposition to it. So uh, it just, you know, tailor it to your, your product, you know, as long as the amount of exposition yeah. you need is really dependent on, on what you're trying to make rules for. Well, I think you hit a. You mentioned a good uh, keyword. There is narrative. Um, if you're building, if your goal is to build a kind of story environment, then you want to build story. You want to build uh, a framework for that, and that's that you do through world building, um, yeah. and that's going to give the players a world to um to dive into and and expand upon and and go into um you know if you you know if you're just throwing a few words out of of what what kind of universe that the players are inhabiting that's going to dis distance the players from the world and focus them more on on the mechanics of the gameplay, and you're going to end up with a more tactical game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, kind of all this comes down to what you're trying to accomplish with your game. True. Um, well, and if you want an example you know, of, of a, a game that maybe has too much exposition, more than it needed, for instance, um, uh, Mark and I have been going over the, the Roll20 rulebook for Star Wars, and I feel like mm-hmm. there's giant chunks of, like, like, like you know, several-page short stories in there that really aren't entirely necessary because we all know for star Wars and in particular, the concepts that they're trying to convey are all stuff that we're familiar with from the movies. 
Um, now, maybe you don't, but if you don't know anything about Star Wars and your gateway into the whole thing is a book on RPGs, <laughs> you know, you got problems. You know, that's <laughs> I don't think we, anybody yeah. can help you there. So how did you how did you get this book? <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah. shouldn't have this book i'll I'll just take that from you. you're in the wrong place this isn't the book yeah you're looking exactly for. like like with something that's so so niche like that um if you're familiar with the things they're trying to convey mm-hmm. it's it gets a little redundant you know like you said it's stuff we know from the movies yeah what star wars fan hasn't seen the movies yeah but no, applying no, applying no. that stuff to the game mechanics would be appropriate Yes, we know we know True. Luke flies an, flies an X wing, but here's how an X wing works. What in this skill game. does he roll to do that? You know, right? Yeah, tying that sort of stuff together is appropriate. But and yeah, I, that's I think brilliant. That's, I think that's another uh, important thing is it's not just the amount of exposition that you have in your book, but what kind of exposition? If you are just creating a world full of NPCs that the players can never touch or never re- re- interact with, then you're wasting everybody's time. Um, you want to set, yeah. uh, you want to set, you want to create a world basically that has adventure hooks mm-hmm. um, that, that inspire characters or characters or GMs to yeah. build off it and, you know, give twists and incorporate these things into their campaign. Because yeah. building a world that the players don't use is is a waste for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think the good the good balance of it for you know what kind of exposition to have is, of course, comparing, you know, the rule set you have here to how it relates to the exposition, like relating them both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know connecting them some way instead of because i've read i've read some things that do seem completely disconnected you know it's just like here's an example of and and it it doesn't really apply to the game you know it it, it applies to the exposition to, to the exposition of course mm-hmm. but you know it it expects the player or the gm whoever's reading it to make the connection without telling them the connection. You know what I mean? Yeah, to to an extent, but sometimes too the exposition can can have a value in and of its own in and of itself. For example, our 7C campaign, when we encounter a personality from the books, yeah, that creates an exciting moment of mm-hmm. Oh, I, I read about this character. I, I know, yeah. you know, what to expect. And, and, you know, it brings something, you know, it brings a little thrill. Yeah. Um, true. If true. you're playing, if you're playing star Wars and you run into Han Solo, it'd be, it'd have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it is, you know, there is value in, in just having, you know, adding, uh, cities or, or hubs or characters that uh, you know, like I say, they provide hooks. They provide um, things that that characters can interact with. Um, you know, may not be a real tie to any any game mechanic, but it's a tie to the world and and a tie to uh, what's going on. Yeah, that is very true. Definitely, uh, that's a very good point. Um, but yeah, like like with your X wing explanation, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you you can say as much as you want about pilots flying X wings, but if you it's it's kind of pointless if you don't connect that to, you know, what you need to do in the game too. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Def- definitely. But yeah, anything else about this? That's all I got. Pretty much. Awesome. But gentlemen, it has been a pleasure talking with you all today. Mark, I hope your arm gets better soon. Thank and, you. Me too. Uh, I hope you don't lose anytime soon either. <laughs> well, you know, and I just got to get better now for the uh, Summer Olympics. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got a couple years. That's true. And that's it for this episode of Tabletop Radio Hour. 
Like always, you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletop radio hour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at tabletopcast if you have any questions or comments. We also have an email address that is tabletopradiohour at yahoo.com. Our website, tabletopradiohour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep rolling 20s.